it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. My name is Harry Hurley, an honor, a privilege to fill in today for Brian, who will be back tomorrow. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, who holds a place on the Mount Rushmore of the four most important talk radio programs in America today. And in my estimation, he's not number four. Talkers Magazine rates Brian as the fourth most important radio talk show host in America today. You can follow Brian at briankillmead.com and briankillmeadshow.com. And in, the, um, in, in Brian's brand, you, you will have the, um, the retail store. You have the opportunity to buy his great books, for example, The President and the Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. Brian will personalize it so you can get it as a nice gift for someone, and it will come uh, to you, and you can present it to them, autographed and personalized, and Brian does a very, very special job with that. Of course, Brian Daly on Fox & Friends, uh, doing a great job for so many years, and he has launched... Uh, a very relevant television program on the Fox News channel, One Nation, with Brian Kilmeade. That's Saturdays at 8 p.m. with an instant replay classic at 11 p.m. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to be visiting and talking uh, in this segment about what's happening at the border. You could say the southern border, but there are many different borders. Uh, the best in our business, in my estimation, is the Fox News Channel national correspondent and a very longtime friend of mine, Griff Jenkins, who is on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline. Griff, welcome to Brian's show. Hey, Harry. Good morning, and let's talk border, my friend. It's an important issue. Let's do it. And I want to, because you and I haven't had a chance to talk about since on that nasty Friday, late and wrong, when although they could bring no criminal charges against the Border Patrol uh, agents of the, the Horse Patrol Unit, they certainly found a way to make them look bad. My my feeling is this on on the topic. When the president of the United States puts his thumb on the scale and second one says people are going to pay and they have determined that whippings took place and all these things that we know are just patently false, you know, in the end, and they took a long time to do this nothing burger, but it's not nothing. When you mess up somebody's employee file with a reprimand, however they did it, whatever discipline would be meted out, uh, th- this was bad form. They have been terrible from the president to Alejandro Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary. So they couldn't do anything criminal. They w- I think they would have liked to, but there was no there there. But they still found a way to act like they're wrong. And it's my understanding, you'll, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, Griff, this horse patrol unit is disbanded, which had been used so successfully. So in that rough terrain where that was the perfect way to conduct law enforcement, they take that tool from the Border Patrol. It's just awful. So before we get into actually a border that's leaking terribly, even though the secretary uh, says that we have a closed border, which is absolutely laughable and intellectually dishonest, 
What is your take, because you're an objective reporter, on how these Border Patrol, Horse Patrol unit uh, employees were treated? I think they were treated abysmally. They were, they were ba- basically verbally flogged in public from the second this happened, never fully vindicated because they just leave it sketchy and like, oh, okay, well, they're not going to have criminal charges, but they're still bad guys and they still did bad things. I think this is an awful way to do business. Your thoughts? Well, abysmal is the perfect word to use, and it's one that I have heard before you in talking to some of my Border Patrol sources, because while it is a isolated incident, it really perfectly lays out the uh, disregard that this administration has for the dedicated men and women in green in the Border Patrol that have spent their entire, many of them, adult professional lives committed to the service of protecting our nation on that southern border and have chosen not to be political, uh, whoever was in office, whether it was Obama, whether it was George W. Bush or Donald Trump, and now Biden, they just said, well, you know what, we're going to carry out, you know, the order, uh, uh, the orders and the policies of the administration, but ultimately, we are going to achieve that goal of securing the border. And the larger macro picture we're going to get into here in a second uh, has been an absolute disaster. There is – when Secretary Marcus says the border is secure, there's no statement he could make that would be more inaccurate. The border is wide open. I am about to go back for I don't even know how many times I've been down there in the last couple of years. I'm about to go back again on Monday. I'll be there all next week in the Rio Grande Valley sector, but I will show you every hour of the news they put me on just how uh, horrifically unsecure it is. But the horse patrol unit incident shows that politics in appearing to be anti-border patrol, anti-secure border, uh, is is laid bare. And, you know, many were watching to see, okay, they talked a tough game, now they've done the investigation, and they found what all of the border patrol knew they would find, which is the HPU, or Horse Patrol Unit, did nothing wrong. But yet for saving face, for for the sheer image of politics, they needed to appear that they did something. You did ask if it's actually disbanded. The horse patrol unit, so that our listeners understand, are a critical unit because those horseback uh, officers can go into areas in thick, deep mountain terrains in harsh brush where you cannot go in a car, the helicopter can't get there. You can't get there by boat. An ATV, in many cases, can't get in there, but you can get there on a horse. And what do they do? They rescue. They save the lives of migrants. A horse patrol mm-hmm. unit, by and large, does more rescues than any other specific unit of the Border Patrol in many areas. That's why they're a vital tool. So they haven't actually stopped having the horse patrol unit do the rescues they're doing. They just disbanded to make it look like they weren't doing enforcement, as you saw wow. uh, back in that Del Rio incident. But at the larger macro picture, you know, I just reported here yesterday that we just crossed, DHS sources just 
told us this week that more than 500,000 migrants illegally crossed the border, evaded capture, and disappeared in the shadows. Those are called gotaways. More than 500,000. That's enough people to fill last year's Super Bowl, Harry, more than seven times. And that's more than the fiscal year 2021, which had roughly 400,000 added together. You're talking upwards of a million people that are in this country illegally. We don't know who they are, why they're here, or where they're located. It comes at the same time. We just had 56 individuals this fiscal year have hit the terrorist screening database. And so on the one hand, the number of migrants coming is overwhelming the Border Patrol and absolutely exacerbating our resources. It's also making the nation less safe. That's not an opinion. That's a sheer fact when you look at the crisis. No doubt. Fox News Channel national correspondent Griff Jenkins on the Brian Kilmeade Show, Newsmaker Hotline. Let's go to a topic that other than you and some of your colleagues uh, at Fox News, it's just not being covered. And I remember when there were two deaths uh, along the border and you had Democrat members of Congress flying in, flipping out, going crazy. Now, look, two deaths is terrible. I don't want there to be and you don't want there to be any deaths. But Griff, the number of deaths under this administration is off the charts and nobody talks about it except you and a few of your colleagues. It's like it's not if we don't talk about it, it didn't happen. Well, they don't they don't want it out there. And the sad reality uh, just a few weeks ago when I was down in the Del Rio sector and you had the 63 died in the horrific human tragedy in that uh, uh, tractor trailer on a Monday. By the time I left Del Rio on Friday, there had been two other deadly incidents that killed six total, seven total migrants and two other human tragedies. And the the CBP and DHS still will not put out the number of migrants that have died this year. And it, it, it's just, it's unbelievable because, you know, at the end of the day, this was the administration that said they would be the most transparent of all administrations. And yet they don't want to release uh, the tragedies when they happen. And do you know who that benefits ultimately? If you walk it all the way out, it ultimately benefits the cartels because they're going to keep sending people, particularly if they can keep the uh, worst-case scenario consequences from being uh, uh, populated. Griff, two-minute drill. Two-minute drill. When when you hear the secretary and, and even others, I'm sure, the, the White House spokesperson and others, and they, they actually say with a straight face that we're doing a great job, uh, the border is closed. I mean, when that just doesn't pass any legitimate smell test whatsoever, is that unbelievable to hear when you've been there and you know that it, not only is that a false statement, but the exact opposite is the truth? Yeah. I You know, I have – greatly uh, uh, been hesitant to just say that the administration was outright uh, lying because as a reporter, that's not my job, right? The pundits can choose to to use such uh, uh, strong language, but if there's an accuracy every single time you point it out. But at this point, 
as we get farther and farther into this crisis that's now been going on for 17 months. Remember, the border has been, the the number of encounters has been rising since the day Biden took office. We've had four straight months now of more than 200,000 migrant encounters, which is unprecedented. Mm. And currently this fiscal year, with over 1.7 million, we're in uncharted territory. And I said the other day that DHS Secretary Mayorkas is starting to sound like ba- uh, Baghdad Bob. If you remember Baghdad Bob. Oh, I do. There is no American presence here in Iraq as yeah. Apache helicopters were flying over his head. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's approaching Baghdad Bob territory because it's a farce. And, you know, I won't ascribe a motive as to why they're doing it, but they're doing it. And it is an absolute uh, uh, abdication of the truth. And what's really interesting, perhaps telling, is that you you just rarely get the mainstream media to also pick up on it. If it was any other topic, you'd have them all over the place, but they're not on this topic, and they're not really there. Fox News, in many cases, not always, but in many cases, we're the only ones there. Now, back to that horse patrol unit, coming full circle in the conversation, remember, those images were so massive that other news organizations couldn't ignore it. Yeah. Well, guess what? Since that happened, it's gotten way worse. And where are they today? Nowhere. Nowhere to be found. Final 45 seconds. 18 months into this, MS-13 gang members, human trafficking, drug trafficking, all kinds of issues. I, I know it's tough to put a percentage to it or anything definitive, but how much danger has this Biden policy of opening the border, faking and saying out loud that we have a closed border, but the ex- the exact opposite is in place. How much more dangerous is America because of this open border situation? Well, it's an accurate statement, Harry, to say it's never been this dangerous. Never before have we had dozens of MS-13 and other gang members coming across our borders every week. And I'll talk to you after I spend next week there. And I promise you I'll be able to report that we will have Yet another dozen or more coming across in that RGV sector where I'm headed. You do great work. Be safe, my friend. Honored to present you on Brian's show, the great Griff Jenkins. Thank you, Griff. The great Harry Hurley. Thank you, my friend. Have a good one. You too, my friend. We will be back because this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I do want to emphasize what a recession really means is a broad-based contraction in the economy. 
And even if that number is negative, we are not in a recession now. Has inflation peaked? I think probably. You know, there's so much out of our control. Inflation is a global problem. When you're creating uh, almost 400,000 jobs a month, that is not a recession. But I don't think we're going to, uh, God willing, I don't think we're going to see a recession. This is not an economy that's in recession, but we're in a period of transition. Those indicators do not show uh, that we are are in a recession or even a pre-recession. Almost beyond words. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison Pete and Eric. I'm Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian, who will be back tomorrow. That is, if, if Brian were here doing the, you know, the big three or just riffing on those words, that, that challenges the English language. Don't forget from Janet Yellen to the whole Peanuts Gallery. They're, they're all the same people that said inflation was transitory. We had no worries. President Biden said over a year ago that inflation was over. Uh, they're wrong, spectacularly wrong about everything. That's the problem. They're just wrong. President Reagan once said about the, the whole other side of the um, political aisle, it's just everything they know is wrong. Truly incredible times. Now, here's another um, audio clip that the Brian Kilmeade universe should listen to. And it's the White House press secretary. You heard a little bit from Corinne Jean-Pierre in the last clip. Uh, Eric, cut 26. What is exactly the White House's definition of a recession? Again, we don't, we don't, def- I'm not going to define it from here. I'm just going to leave it to the NBER, as, as we have stated, of how they define uh, recension, okay, recession. Okay, so will declare it one until they have declared it one. I'm just saying? saying that we're just not going to define it. We use the indicators that the NBER, uh, uh, the Nas- National Bureau of Economic Research, have, have used. We've mentioned that a few times. Now, I will define it for you since she will not because nobody had a problem with this. We could play a montage of everyone saying two quarters of negative GDP has always, 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 always constituted a recession. Like everything else, Joe Biden's not responsible for the increase in the price of a gallon of gasoline. They come out and torture us with words that say presidents have no control. Then as prices have gone down 40, 50 cents during this past month, they take credit for the decrease and actually want credit that you're still paying twice as much as you did before they got there, but they're responsible for the prices coming down. Putin is to blame for the prices going up. They put out a torturous piece on what is a recession. Ladies and gentlemen, the media is not going to play sucker for this. A recession is two quarters of negative GDP. They must think that's what's coming tomorrow morning because they've worked so hard this week to change it. We will be back in just a little bit. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. It, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. I'm Harry Hurley. Filling in just for today, Brian will be back tomorrow. Uh, we've got a great guest coming up. We'll tell you in just a few minutes what's happening right after the bottom of the hour break. But let's use this precious time to fill you, fill you in on something 
that I think is very important because there are really responsible leaders in our government that truly believe that the Department of Justice is highly politicized. And you now have and when it was Alexander uh, Colonel Alexander Vidman and other whistleblowers, I mean, they're given such deference, such respect. We have Department of Justice whistleblowers right here, right now, that are, quote, fed up with corruption, end quote, fed up with partisan politics, quote, end quote. You have Senators Ron Johnson, you have Senator Chuck Grassley, and they are all over this. Senator Chuck Grassley, and it's in my hand right now, he's written a four-page letter to the Honorable Merrick Garland, Attorney General, Department of Justice, and the Honorable Christopher Wray, Director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And it's all about these um, sort of selective prosecutions and selective omissions of investigating serious matters. So in other words, the the Department of Justice, the allegation is that it is weaponized. Uh, that That goes against our republic. Let's listen to some of these people that are on this right now. Uh, Eric, cut 13. Now we're finding out from these whistleblowers that the FBI actually had, you know, I don't know what you would call it, but individuals uh, specifically taking derogatory information about against Hunter Biden, downgrading it to end the investigations. Were they were they responsible talking to their intelligence sisters of the 51 intelligence officials that came forward? and engaged in their own information operation when they said that Hunter Hunter Biden's laptop uh, had all the earmarks of a Russian information operation. Uh, This is dirty. This is corrupt. We need answers. That's Senator Johnson, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. And we continue on this theme. It's very important because we can't have this in our country. I mean, the the law wasn't... uh, didn't you know politics didn't protect president nixon how is this allowed to go on cut 14 eric when it come to hutter biden with plenty of concrete information it was shut down it's pretty simple we have evidence that some of these people have exhibited this political bias over a long period of time because there's a guy by the name of tebow that the whistleblowers told me about i took it directly to ray Uh, I guess he had done this when we issued a press release on it, but I talked to him about it to thank him because he moved that guy out of the decision-making of which uh, investigation should go ahead and which one should be stopped. But that gives you an example of political bias, and it hurts uh, the integrity of the FBI. And that's Chuck Grassley, Senator Chuck Grassley, longtime chairman of the Judiciary Committee, probably will not be. Uh, when, some say if, but I do believe this is going to be a wave election on November 8th, and the People's House will certainly change hands. And then you're going to see uh, Republican chairman that will have subpoena power and a lot of this slow walking. I mean, this whole Hunter Biden stuff, I mean, my goodness, remember when Miranda Devine, and she's been on the Brian Kilmeade show many times in the past, she's an absolute superstar. She came out with the truth the truth was turned on its ear and called a lie. If you told her truth, you would be deplatformed from social media. You had 51 people, including people like former CIA director, former Clinton White House chief of staff, Leon Panetta, uh, actually saying that the Hunter Biden uh, data, 
the laptop and all its data was fake, that it was Russian disinformation. Now, you look at these hearings that we are being tortured with. Don't you think that would be a rather important committee to start subpoenaing all of 51 people and say, excuse me, you all signed a letter. You were all spectacularly wrong. The Hunter Biden laptop, the Hunter Biden hard drives are all completely vindicated, validated, whatever you want to call it, as accurate. Uh, Hunter's own sort of obsession with sort of like the movie The Truman Show or something, he documented everything his whole life, even when he was doing things that were either immoral, improper, or illegal. It's all there. You would think there would be a supreme level of intellectual curiosity to, to investigate. I mean, they'll charge... Steve Bannon with process crimes, you know, no one's ever, no one's ever gone to jail for stuff like this. Eric Holder was found in contempt of Congress. They didn't present him before a grand jury. He didn't give what he was supposed to give uh, to the um, to the Congress. He was formally found in contempt of Congress, but they didn't present him to 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 destroy his life and to give him a criminal record. You know, those counts are one year each. I don't think you would get one year each, but it'll be 30 days each or something like that. And you then have a criminal record that you lied to the federal government and were and convicted of it. it the, the weaponization uh, and the select weaponization of the Department of Justice, it is breathtaking. It is dangerous. I, I've had a longtime prediction because there's so much there there, you cannot – it's not a magic act. It's not David Copperfield making a, uh, a 747 or a 757 or a 767 disappear on the stage. Oh, my God, where did the plane go? It was just here. It's gone. You, you can't make – there's too much there there. But I think what is going on is a whole lot of home cooking, and they're going to work this thing out as cushy as they can. And let me say what I think the final result will be. President Biden will not run for a second term. He says he will. He will not. If he ran for a second term, he would not win. And after the election, and he'll wait till after the election probably, maybe he would do it sooner. You picture if you had the power, uh, you'd pardon your son too. He'll pardon his son. His son is going to be found guilty of something. It will probably be very minimal, but they can't make it completely go away. Because there's just too much. You know, look what they did to Dinesh D'Souza for a campaign contribution. No one in the history of the republic had ever been charged. That was always considered a civil matter. You pay a fine, probably. You, oops, you, you, you contributed too much. And, you, you, you know, you're found guilty of something. But very, very minimous and, and civil, not criminal. He did hard time. You've heard him on Brian's show. And we know Dinesh as well. It's terrible. So they're going after Roger Stone, uh, Steve Bannon, Dinesh D'Souza, uh, anybody uh, in the Trump orbit. But yet nothing here. Crickets for years and years and years. So any reasonable person knows that there's home cooking going on here. I predict that because there's so much that's known from crack to prostitutes to foreign dealings, if he's not registered to do dealings like that. You just cannot make all of it go away if taxes were not paid. 
and, it, and we know there's some $2 million uh, amount that was provided by someone to Hunter to pay back taxes and things like that. Remember, when you pay the back taxes after you're caught, if you rob the bank and turn the money back in, it doesn't make the alleged crime go away. So uh, my long prediction, health prediction, is Hunter Biden will be found guilty of something. They'll make it as minimal as they can. But they'll be able to say, look, the law, the president's son could not escape the American justice system and our country. We prove our country works. It'll be completely corrupt. And then I'll throw the last prediction back in. The father pardons the son. And I believe everybody listening to Brian's program, you would do the same. You would pardon your son as well. I won't even criticize that when it happens because it will happen. And I think any dad and there's no question I disagree with his politics. He's been wrong for 50 years, but he's a good dad and he loves his family. When we come back in just a little bit, we will be joined by one of the best in the business, Edward Lawrence from the Fox Business Channel, the White House correspondent next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, look, I think that our, our economy is uh, more resilient uh, to, the, to the types of challenges uh, that we've faced. Uh, for example, you know, with respect to uh, food, we're a net exporter of, of, of agricultural commodities. And obviously the, the high prices are hitting Americans very hard, but uh, that in, in a way that is different from some places that are facing famine, for example. Wow. So we are faring better off than some places that are facing famine. The new the bar has been set. Wow. Just wow. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade show with Allison, Pete and Eric. I'm Harry Hurley in just for today. Brian will be back tomorrow. So let your heart not be troubled in that regard. We are joined now on the Brian Kilmeade show on the Brian Kilmeade show newsmaker hotline by Edward Lawrence, White House correspondent for the Fox Business Channel. This is pretty amazing. I guess. Edward, they they are very convinced either they know or they think they know by all these estimates that we will have a second consecutive quarter of negative GDP. So they're reinventing everything, the English language, one plus one now equals eight, uh, and saying that that no, 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 two quarters of negative, you know, uh, some say negative growth, which I always find oxymoronic, but negative GDP no longer constitutes a recession. I don't see any serious person buying this. Your thoughts and welcome. Yeah, so what's been happening over the past several weeks, actually, is they've been lowering expectations. And now apparently the expectation is we're doing better than a country that has a famine. But they're lowering expectations going forward is what the White House has been doing. And then every administration official who's been on, on TV has been doing it. And with that lowering of expectations, they've also tried to change. Uh, economic advisors have, have shifted the definition or tried to shift the definition of what a recession is. Uh, now we're hearing that, that they're renaming what the recession is. They're in a transition. This is not a recession. It's going to be a transition to more stable growth. Right. And, and I've yet to be able to nail them down exactly what more stable growth is, although a senior administration official did tell me they expect stable growth to be under 2%, which is about where the Obama years were. And you may remember the, the former president, President Donald Trump, had before the pandemic, uh, was above 2% uh, for economic growth for every year 
before the pandemic. The pandemic obviously crashed the economy. But that, that's what it is. It's a lowering of expectations, you know. And, and I also cover the Federal Reserve, which they're in right now. I'm standing outside the building. They're in there inside and they're meeting, debating on how high they're going to raise interest rates. So you got a one-two punch coming where you're starting to see consumers possibly slow down their spending. Walmart has said they're seeing customers make choices and their inventories are rising. So, so they're not buying those, uh, those items, all the items that they want. Um, and you're also going to see possibly interest rate hikes, a big one, as yeah. in today. And as you know in your reporting, you know it's, it's very problematic when you go from a healthy economy to where people are making choices between need buying only and want buying, which they were willing to do but now won't be willing to do. And, of course, that hurts everyone. That hurts car dealers. Uh, and there's a whole problem there, you know, in terms of everything, supply and all of that. And, and, and certainly people, we now find out that there are Americans that are skipping meals. Uh, we just can't imagine that 18 months ago we were energy independent, a net oil exporter, highest wages ever. And even people that are getting an increase right now, Edward, they're not getting an increase. They're getting a decrease because their increase is not keeping up with the inflation. So it's it's really it's not a one two punch. It, it, it is just all over the place. Eric, if you would, let's set the tone, because Janet Yellen, I consider to be a serious person, former Fed chair, secretary of the Treasury. And she's playing this game of we're not in a recession. Tell that to the American people that don't even care to wait till tomorrow if it's negative growth in the in the second quarter to join the first quarter. The estimates are something like negative 1.6, what I guess would be the same as, uh, Edward, the, the first quarter. But she's yeah. playing the game of a recession is a new definition. And I love when you brought up and you said it so well. They, just like the price of gasoline. No, don't, we don't have a problem. It's, it's, we're transitioning to a new economy. We're transitioning to, to this uh, issue here. Eric, cut three. And many economists uh, expect second quarter GDP to be negative. First quarter GDP was negative. So we could see that happen, and that will be closely watched. I will be, would be amazed if the NBER would declare this period to be a recession, right. even if it happens to have two quarters of negative growth. Because as Edward knows, they don't declare it until the recession's over. So this is completely intellectually dishonest, and I hold her accountable to that because she's too smart to act that stupid. On top of that, Eric, cut to Brian Deese. The definition of recession, which has been an issue that I know many of you have uh, reported on, um, as Secretary <laughs> Yellen said on Sunday, uh, Two negative quarters of GDP growth is not uh, the technical definition of recession. It's not the definition that economists have traditionally uh, relied on. Edward, aren't they terrible trying to pull this off? Do they think we're stupid? Well, two, two points here. I mean, you got to look at the messenger here. Uh, Secretary, uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen, uh, you know, very well respected as a Fed chairman. Um, you know, as Treasury Secretary, her track record's been horrible. If you look, if you go back to March of last year, she said inflation would be end the year at 2% at yep. 2021. Three months later, she said inflation would end the year of 2021 at 3%. And then in September, where she stopped giving um, the predictions after that, she said inflation would end up 2021 at 4%. Here we are at 8.9.1%. I mean, so you got to look at the messenger on that front. Um, you know, the second point, the Federal Reserve, uh, you know, as they come in and do their their business here, they, they have a, a hammer to, to shut off the economy. They don't have they can't go in and surgically 
bring down prices in certain areas. They have to come in and go, whack, this is how we're going to get the economy to, to slow down. Raising interest rates lowers demand. Uh, and when you lower demand, it could push us into a recession even further. You know, you talk about those two quarters. In, in 2007, in December of 2007, that group, the National Bureau of Economic Research, said that we were in a recession. They did not make that determination until 2008, until December of 2008. So that was the Great Recession, as we all know. So it takes them a year to do their job. So it is a little disingenuous to say, hey, we're going to wait for these folks, because the administration, the White House knows all too well that it's going to take them a year to say, oh, yes, back in the first quarter of of 2022, we were in a recession. And we always accepted, uh, and the media would, would go with it, and reasonable people would accept it, that two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, and we know we're in a recession. You, you almost don't have to tell or ask the American people. They, they know it. 30 seconds to a hard break. Closing comment, Edward. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what we need to prepare for. We're going to get probably a negative number on Thursday. We're probably going to get interest rate hikes, and that one-two punch is going to cause problems for the economy and the consumer going forward on what you can buy. We've been visiting with Edward Lawrence from the Fox Business Channel, White House correspondent. Keep up your great work. Have a wonderful day. Take care. Thanks, Harry. You're welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you for doing such a good job. Much more important content straight ahead because it's a daily occurrence on The Brian Kilmeade Show, one of the most relevant radio talk shows, nationally radio syndicated talk shows in America with Allison Pete and Eric. My name is Harry. We will be back right after this. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, partnering with Allison, Pete, and Eric. My name is Harry Hurley, filling in today for Brian, who will be back tomorrow. So he'll be right where he belongs, high on the Mount Rushmore of the most listened to radio talk programs in America today. Talkers Magazine rates Brian Kilmeade as the fourth most important radio talk show host in America, which obviously puts him on Mount Rushmore. You can follow Brian at BrianKilmeade.com and BrianKilmeadeShow.com and watch Brian, of course, uh, weekdays, Fox News Channel. Fox and Friends, Saturday nights, 8 o'clock, and then there's an instant replay classic at 11 p.m., One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Uh, If you go to Brian's website, you can go to briankilmeade.com. All his books, he'll autograph them for you. There's a great retail store right there where you can make uh, a very valuable purchase because Brian does such a great job with history and unfolds a lot of things and connects a lot of dots. For example, the president... And the freedom fighter, Brian, tells the story of the the coalition of Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. It's awesome. And he'll autograph it for you, personalize it. You can get it for yourself, get it for uh, a friend or a loved one at briankilmead.com. Welcome to the Brian Kilmead Show. On the Brian Kilmead Show, Newsmaker Hotline is is really a terrific guest. Aaron Porcher, retired New York Police Department lieutenant and a criminal justice professor at Pace University. His Twitter handle, Dr. D R 
Darren, D-A-R-R-I-N, Porcher, P-O-R-C-H-E-R, at Dr. Darren Porcher. Well, Lieutenant, welcome to Brian's program. We have a lot to talk about. How are you today? Great, Harry. Thanks for having me on as a guest, and I look forward to contributing to the program. Well, you always do, and I, I, I don't think you're going to be surprised where I'm going to begin because I cannot wait to get your take for Brian's listeners. I like to pose questions that I believe Brian's listeners would be posing if they were here interviewing you, Darren, and it is this. The Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, who jailed – this is before the grand jury was even meeting. They were going to meet next week when all this was going down – jails an innocent bodega clerk, Jose Alba, who got stabbed three times by a woman who's still never been charged for anything. Hideous bail that fortunately a judge lowered to $50,000 so that Jose Alba's family was able to put the five grand together to get him out of one of the worst places you ever don't want to be. Bernie Carrick, quote unquote, said that to me. You don't ever want to be there. Rikers prison, uh, Rikers Island prison. So what kind of justice is it when there's ample videotape supporting that Jose Alba was an innocent man who was attacked by a career criminal? I think he had been through the the system multiple dozens of times, a real bad guy. He gets stabbed by the woman who went and got this other guy who came in and got into this Vulcan death match with um, Jose Alba. What? I mean, I understand George Soros justice and socialism and they hate cops and and they want to completely destroy all norms in our society. But what the heck is going on here? The Jose Alba situation has presented a tremendous challenge to us as New Yorkers in the wake of a miscarriage of justice. This was clearly a common citizen that was protecting himself, and he was on the defensive, not the offensive. So the question comes to what is the lens that Alvin Bragg is looking through in connection with being Manhattan District Attorney. I feel that he's in diametric opposition to upholding the rule of law in the wake of bail reform and the catch-and-release stream that's being operated in the county of Manhattan. But when we look at him going after a bodega worker in the wake of protecting himself, it really presents a questionable notion as to what is his presence as the Manhattan district attorney. And it's clearly something that we can't figure out, I can't figure out, as a prior law enforcement practitioner, as well as the 8.5 million residents that reside in the city of New York. Well said. And I'm really trying hard to like Mayor Eric Adams. I liked his law enforcement background as a candidate. And it was when it was self-evident that he was going to win. I thought at least from a Democrat, you're going to get a Democrat in this particular election cycle. You know, let it be one that's pro-law enforcement. And obviously with his experience uh, in law enforcement, uh, you would feel that you would get that. He, He seems to walk right up to the line and say most of the right things. Like he kind of said, hey, I think the guy's, you know, was defending himself, but I don't want to question uh, the uh, the D.A. Um, So that that doesn't help. That's not helpful. That's like, you know, I agree with you and I also agree with him. And that starts to get, you know, troublesome over time. Let's take a listen. This is sort of typical from Mayor Eric Adams. He says the right things are almost the right things, but then something seems to get lost in the execution, the translation of it all. Eric, cut 10. Catch, release, repeat. This person was arrested 
for robbery a few days ago. Now he's back. As soon as we catch them, the system releases them and they repeat the action. <laughs> that is just, you know, that's when I say we're the laughing stock of the country, this is what I'm talking about. And we could add on top of that, you're well, well aware of Congressman Lee Zeldin attacked uh, with a guy with some kind of, I don't even know what it was, Felix the Cat, uh, pointy, uh, you know, knuckle knife or something with two points on it. Uh, fortunately, he had a good move there with his um, his training that he has, and he, he took the guy down with his right hand. He took him down to the ground. He went down too, but uh, and then, of course, there are federal charges, but this guy's, and, and of course, Congressman Zeldin said, Zeldin said, hey, he's going to be out in a few hours, and of course he was. This this has to change, Darren. Yeah, absolutely right. Just going back to the first component in connection with Mayor Eric Adams, I think that he's trying to satisfy two ends of the spectrum, that being the conservatives and that being the extreme left in terms of the progressives. This is the time that you need to drill down hard and focus on enforcement because we're in a state of chaos. We're in a state of emergency in connection with public safety here in the city of New York. And Mayor Adams has to understand during your first year, it's okay for people to hate you if you're doing what's right, because they'll remember the results after three years, or I should say at the end of your tenure, when you're running for re-election, and they'll say, okay, he came in, and it was like a bat out of hell. He was really clamping down on crime, but at the same token, we saw precipitous drops in crime. He does not have the understanding. You can't satisfy both ends of the spectrum. Now we're in a state of emergency, but unfortunately, he's operating as if it's Bill de Blasio 2.0, and go. the crime is going up as opposed to going down. That's very well said, Darren. And when you do what he's trying to do, dance on the head of a pin, whatever you want to call it, walk a line, you get both sides unhappy with you because you come out just inauthentic. And no matter what he does, any support of the police and the left is not going to like it. I don't know why uh, they want things to be the, the, the way that they seem to want them to be. But then if you say some of the right things, but then you don't take action, then the other side says that you just you speak words, but you don't they don't amount to deeds. And so you get everybody mad at you. I think he's well on his way to all sides not liking him when he behaves like this. You hit this right on the head. Um, it seems as if we have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that's at the forefront of public safety in the wake of Eric Adams being the mayor. Scary. This is a time whereas you need to focus on what are the mechanisms in law enforcement to drive down crime? It's really not that difficult. You look at the hot spots throughout the city. You look at the places where you have the greatest increases in crime, and that's when you deploy something we refer to as impact. And merely what it is is officers in uniform standing and presenting an omnipresence in the areas that have the greatest um, increases in crime. The impact zones have worked well in the past. However, under the de Blasio administration, they've since been removed. Now is the time that Eric Adams can tote his experience as a practitioner in law enforcement and engage that criminal faction, but it's just not happening. And it goes back to what you said and what I mentioned earlier. You can't satisfy both ends of the spectrum. The time is now for you to drill down and gain some results. If you don't, the crime is going to continuously go up. I'm going to give you a prophetic prediction. 
Next weekend, we're going to have a meteoric rise in crime, and you're going to see Eric Adams at the pulpit stating that we need to do something. However, there's not going to be an execution strategy to follow. That's the, that's the issue. You are listening to retired New York Police Lieutenant Darren Porcher, who is a justice professor, criminal justice professor at Pace University. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is a good little setup for you to comment, Darren, when we come back in just a moment. This is a former Dallas police sergeant that I think absolutely nails where we are today. The job of police officer, never more dangerous, record, and it's not just New York, but we know record numbers of police officers that would have in days gone by stayed for a period longer. They are leaving if they can. Uh, People that would have taken the job and and enthusiastically want to be a police officer don't want anything to do with the job because they see – that you, you could wind up being the one that gets criminally charged, while the criminals can basically assault police officers, and either they don't get charged or they're let go within a couple of hours before the ink on the paperwork is even dry. Uh, this is an appearance on, this, uh, on the Sean Hannity program on the Fox News Channel recently with Sergeant Trey Penny. Cut 12, Eric. There's no credibility in our justice system any for, anymore, unfortunately. I mean, this is the criminals know that they're going to get away with these crimes, which is Two one seconds. of the reasons why I, I spent today lobbying the, the Senate judiciary to help us transfer certain crimes over to, to the federal jurisdiction so we can get certain people off of off of the streets. I mean, we can't keep letting these people run around and victimize our communities. We have to do something about it. Your comment, Lieutenant. Well, I have a sense of bias because I happen to know Dr. Trey Penny, and he was running for Congress down in that, in that congestion, the congressional district down in Dallas. And I think he really has the right message. The forward trajectory needs to be the support of public safety and that being law enforcement that can support that. If you're not willing to buttress law enforcement in the equation, it's not going to work. It's going to bottom out. And that's not just happening in places like Dallas, Texas. This has become a national phenomenon, whereas law enforcement has been de- And we now have to get behind law enforcement. And the one thing that I'll say about Joe Biden, I don't think he's an anti-cop person. I think he came, he ran on the position of being a moderate. But at the same token, there's no gas in the tank. You can step to the podium and say whatever you want. However, if you're not funding it appropriately, you're not going to get the results that work for us as the American public. So when you look at a lot of the the cities, I want to say the major metropolitan cities such as New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, you see these progressive liberals at the helm that are not putting in place the necessary entity to get greater, get a greater presence of law enforcement, and no one wants to take the job. And that's where we're having a lot of these problems. We're going to follow up on this right after the break. Uh, Lieutenant retired Darren Porcher is going to stay with us uh, for one more segment. I would only add to what you said. I would just second that and simply agree with it. But the Biden situation, President Biden situation is even worse. He was very pro-law enforcement. He signed many of the uh, groundbreaking uh, federal laws in terms of minimum mandatory sentencing and many other police initiatives. He's had to disavow all of them to satisfy this insatiable, woke, hard left. So he's had to completely go back on everything that he believed in he has had to do a complete 180. So I, I say it's beyond just his pr- present mental acuity. 
and all of that. It is about the radical left socialist philosophy of hating police, doing everything you can to disrupt, uh, to be very pro-criminal. Uh, it's 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 bizarre world. It's everything that we shouldn't have. We'll be back with Darren Porcher in just a few minutes. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back with Allison, Pete, and Eric. I'm Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian will be back tomorrow. We are visiting with retired New York police lieutenant and criminal justice professor at Pace University, Dr. Darren Porcher. And the question I save for you for this final mini segment that we have, Darren, is this. You've got this bodega worker, and I don't think this is unique to just his situation. Jose Alba is too scared to even leave his home after the murder charge was dropped. This guy was in Rikers Island prison. He was facing possibly going to jail for the rest of his life. He was experiencing bizarro world where the innocent gets – you never think this can happen in America. An innocent man fighting for his life defends himself and finds himself charged for murder. He gets stabbed by somebody three times. Nothing happens to her, and I guarantee you nothing's ever going to happen to her. That's just forgotten. That's just a free three three stabs, and, and you're free. So what does this do in your estimation? You're, you're one of the perfect people in America to pose this question to, Darren, because you were a superior officer, you were a police officer before that, and you're a professor that teaches uh, criminal justice. So you know the psychology of a victim that goes through Alba will never be the same. He will never be the same if it would have went the way it should. And he just would have had to deal with the fact, look, I, I, I had to kill the guy or he was going to kill me. You have to live with that. But he had to live with all this other junk on top of that. Then you take police officers who know that at any moment in these major cities, these woke, crazy people want to put them in jail. Uh, and so it, you know this better than me. I'm, I'm the identical twin of a career retired police officer. So as a layperson, I have a little bit of cred, but not not nearly uh, enough to brag about it. Uh, but my point is, if an officer hesitates, they're dead or something bad is going to happen. But they all have to worry now if I take action, which would have been fine in my entire career, but it might not be now. What does this do to the whole system, Darren. The Jose Albert situation sets forth a bad precedence because when we look at Mr. Albert, he was victimized on two fronts. The first front, the violent criminal that attempted that did assault him while he was in a place of business. The second front, when the Manhattan District Attorney moved forth to prosecute him based on merely protecting himself. And we look at police officers in a place like New York City under the de Blasio administration, qualified immunity was removed from the officers. Therefore, the officers are now held accountable legally if they're taking action and one of these individuals attempt to sue them. So 
So we're in a bad place from the sentiment of public safety, and it's just so unfortunate that the social contract is not being upheld by our governing officials. We need a revolution, and we need it to happen fast. When I say a revolution, meaning a revolution in the lens that we view law enforcement and public safety through, and we need the right people in office yes. to right the ship to get it moving accordingly. Darren, thank you. Thank you for being on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Have a great day. Continue your good work. When we come back, Liz Peake, Fox News contributor, will join us. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back. Harry Hurley with Allison, Pete, and Eric. I'm filling in for Brian just for today. He'll be back tomorrow. Welcome back. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. On the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is Liz Peek, Fox News contributor and a columnist for foxnews.com and The Hill. And her Twitter handle, social media, at Liz, L-I-Z, Peek, P-E-E-K, at Liz Peek. We're going to cover a few articles that Liz has recently written. We're going to start with an article about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. I'm very interested uh, in this one. And we're going to cover a lot of ground. And Liz is available to stay with us until the top of the hour. So we're going to um, get a lot of important uh, content in on Brian's show. Liz, welcome. Uh, Good to visit with you. I'm always delighted to join you. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, I like this column, Why Florida's DeSantis Could Be the Cure for an Ailing America. But let me make it fun and push back for a moment. It's very well written. Uh, the content is excellent. A lot of great points. I think DeSantis is he's central casting, a special forces hero. I mean, the whole deal. Accomplished governor. Uh, everything he did in the pandemic was right. Florida is, is you know, doing so well. Everything the, the woke social, you know, Democrats, uh, the hard left did was wrong. And we, we know it because even uh, Deborah Burks is now admitting, oops, the, the vaccine was never going to stop you from getting it. Oops, all these things we said, you know, she's it's like she's just copying a plea to everything they did was was not true. So there's just a lot there's a lot going on at the present time. And here's the pushback I want to give. I think and it's not you. I think the media desperately wants to take down Trump like they want to take Biden down. They want to turn the page on old white guys. They want to turn the page, be done with it. They don't want the mean tweets. They don't like Trump. They took Biden just to get rid of Trump. I don't think we have a disagreement on that. He's been abject failure and a disaster. But here's my experience with my former boss, President Trump. The media crushes him. But every time people vote, he overperforms, which really is not true. He was going to perform anyhow, but it looks like he's overperforming because, oh, my God, how, how did this many people vote? How did he win? How did he, how did he get this many votes the second time? Uh, and, and DeSantis is winning everywhere except the first time anybody actually voted, Trump got 78.7 percent of the vote. So I'm making the case to the great Liz Peek that – Trump performs much better than the media that he gets. So I think that's an interesting point. And certainly Trump has outperformed and surprised on the upside, except in 2020. He did lose the election. And uh, so I think, you know, my, my comeback to you would be, do we really want to take a chance on that? And more importantly, 
here's how I would view this. There are two Trumps right now. One is the bitter, angry, yeah. backward-looking, uh, 2020 election grievance-laden president who cannot move on. Yesterday, I have to say, we saw the other Trump, yes. the Trump that is speaking a language people want to hear, addressing the concerns that people legitimately have about what's going on in our country. A lot of it was a bit extreme, perhaps, but the truth is people are extremely angry and upset and worried. So, you know, you tell me which Trump is going to be on the campaign trail, which one is going to talk to the American voter, because— Well, I want to tell you, I have an answer for it, because we passed his prologue, and plus I've worked for him, and I've known him for 40 years. Uh, You get both. You don't get the one you want, and you don't get the other one all the time. You get both. And I think the American okay. people know that. I will push back to you and yeah. say in 2016, when he ran for president, we only saw one Trump. I, oh, was, no, 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 no. I disagree. Uh, when Kellyanne Conway came in and almost saved the day, the campaign was not going well at one point. They switched horses. Kellyanne Conway and President Trump together, they did stay on message for the remainder of the campaign. But if you go back in time, that campaign was disjointed at one point. And it was it was rescued uh, by that discipline. And I I will say this from personal knowledge. President Trump, for extended periods of time, is extremely capable of staying focused, staying on message and not wandering to some of that other stuff that uh, because I'm in total agreement. Nobody wants to relitigate 2020. And I would say one other thing about the earlier point. Trump did lose. But he also got more votes than any Republican in history, and I've never bought into the um, the, the release, the Kraken, uh, Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani thing. It was terrible. They kept saying they're going to release the Kraken, and there was no Kraken, so they couldn't release it. And we know that because they didn't. So they kept yeah. saying – and you, you never want to promise big stuff and then deliver nothing. But this much I do know. That was an unusual election. Yeah. Uh, we had voting in a way that we'll never see again. Uh, A lot of vote by mail that took place and increased the Democrat advantage because they are better at it than Republicans were. I think Republicans are catching up. And so I think that you could make the case that, look, 40,000 votes in three states, just like you could say with Hillary, and Trump is serving a second term right now. We're not talking about the the Liz Peake column on that topic of DeSantis. So what do you say to that comeback? Well, I think I think that's reasonable. The the other thing that I didn't say in this piece, but I think is important, uh, what we've seen is that four years is not enough. Trump is only able to serve four years. DeSantis could serve eight. And a lot of the things that need to get done in this country take eight years. I mean, I'm talking about things like energy policy. One of the huge cataclysmic failures of the Biden administration is they don't understand that it it can take a decade to create uh, new energy sources and to lay the groundwork for all this climate stuff they want to do, you know, to build a refinery, to build a Mm -hmm. new pipeline, whatever. It doesn't take four years. It takes maybe eight or ten. And I think, I mean, so frankly, I think the longevity, the potential longevity of DeSantis in office is a real selling point for him. Now, you know, I think you make a lot of good points. Look, I, I think Trump Trump is very smart, and he, I think, yesterday showed that he's gotten the message. People are tired of the anger and the 
whining yes. about 2020. But I got to tell you, it took a long time for him to get there. And, you know, I'm not sure he won't revert to that. And I really think, you know, somebody on Twitter said, well, you're just representing Wall Street point of view. I really am not. I'm talking I'm talking all the time to people about politics and Trump, taxi drivers yeah. and people who work in gardens and stuff. Guess what? People like Trump. They like what he did, but they really are ready for someone else to carry that banner. I think that's true. But you know what? We'll see. I don't know. You're listening to Liz Peek on the Brian Kilmeade Show. And, Liz, I will back you up every single time. You have tremendous credibility. You've been fair. Uh, You've not been somebody that has uh, attacked Trump or anything like that. I find you to be very objective. I find you to be uh, a fair official. If you were in a sports arena – you would be someone that they would say calls balls and strikes fair. If you call the low, to. if you call I'm the low strike, to. yeah, you do, yeah. you do. I, I think on Trump though, I think it's easy for him to get a bad rap because he's polarizing. You either love him yep. or yep. you hate him. There's very little in between, so he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt like some people. But I do, I do echo a point. I repeat a point that I made. There's got to be a reason why. DeSantis, who I and I like DeSantis. I think he's absolutely the future. I, I even though Trump doesn't need him for Florida because I think Florida is in good shape. Uh, I, I think it'd be a great ticket, and then it would be a guaranteed one term, which everybody will know up front. And DeSantis would absolutely be the future. I think it's not too early for DeSantis, but in in a in a Trump still in the game, and he said as recently as yesterday that he just can't leave at this point. So he's. Yeah. I think you know. People ask me this every day. You know him. Is he running? I said, of course he's running. He thinks yeah. he won last time, and he hates to lose more than anybody you'll ever meet in your life. And and despite what people think, he does love America, and he hates to see his accomplishments undone the way they've been. And and look, you say about you need eight years. Look what can be done in eighteen months. We were energy independent, <laughs> net oil exporter, two dollar a gallon gasoline. Uh, less than 2% inflation. So you can do a lot of damage in less than four years as well. Yeah. What you can't do is drain the swamp. I mean, actually, nobody's ever going to totally drain the swamp. But I have to say, you know, I look, I am totally on board with the Trump agenda. I think an awful lot of the country is. But then you are. So then you have to step back and say, okay, then why did he why did he not win? Partly, by the way, I think he didn't win because uh, the animus towards him was so enormous. I, I think that's an issue. I also think people had gotten used to the fact that jobs were plentiful, that inflation was low. Everyone was sort of riding a, a nice roller coaster of economic good times. And so the fact that the Trump agenda included lower taxes, less regulation, and that that had spurred growth beyond what anyone has anticipated when he took office. Remember, even neutral, if there are such a thing, economists were talking about a period of slow growth. Well, guess what? Uh, The Steve Moore, Art Laffer, Larry Kudlow economic Trump agenda did indeed uh, inspire higher growth than it was expected. That can happen again. I mean, the, the the tragedy of the Joe Biden experience is he basically came into office with only one North Star, and that North Star was undoing everything that Donald Trump did. And so here we are, either in or on the cusp of a recession, so unnecessary, 
uh, with all the things that Trump did to make our economy more vibrant, things, by the way, that are advocated by world bodies like the World Bank that has told uh, France and the IMF to, to undo your labor laws because it's choking your co- economy. I mean, all these things, I- Americans, you know, really need to start looking around the world and see what works. What we were doing then worked. And we need to go back to those policies so desperately. All I care about is picking a candidate in 24 who can, who can win. That's all I care about, who has this agenda. I do believe that that is going to be the uh, the litmus test. Uh, yes. Republicans want a winner. I believe yep. independents that think, oh, my gosh, what did I do here? My, my goodness. Yeah. You, have, you have people coming out of retirement because they have to. You have people who could retire that now can't. You yep. have actually Americans that are skipping meals, one or more meals a day. Because we're where we are right now, uh, runaway inflation, we could go on and on and on. If you told the American people, uh, oh, by the way, and I think also, too, if if the Hunter Biden stuff would have been allowed to be true before the election, Biden also would have lost. If there wasn't a pandemic, Biden also would have lost. And I believe without a pandemic, the Democrats would not have allowed Biden to be the nominee because they knew that he wasn't up to it. But in that environment, he's like yesterday with with COVID. He's the perfect. Jesse Waters is right. He's the perfect basement guy. It works <laughs> for him because there's no accountability. and oh, he, he can sell it on his large Zoom video screen. Liz yeah, is staying and- for one more segment. I'm so happy because normally we be saying, oh, Liz, there's so much more. We got to go. We're going to come back in a few minutes. Much more with the great Liz Peak. This is. The Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back to The Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison Pete and Eric Harry Hurley filling in today. Brian will be back tomorrow. Liz Peake joins us on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline. One last question on Trump DeSantis. And I want to go to these other great columns that you've written on Biden's age, which I've never believed that age is chronological and biological. I never believe the age is a problem, but his his apparent lack of mental acuity is a big problem. And also the Biden recession, which even if they won't admit it, uh, <laughs> the American people will. But were you surprised that all these folks came out to uh, Turning Point USA they do the straw poll. They're in Florida, by the way. But, of course, there's people from all over. So it's not just Florida people voted. And Trump wins by 60 points, 78.7 to like 19 percent. Because based on all the, the gushy coverage that DeSantis gets, now don't, I, I, I'm not naive. He also gets blistered by the, the Democrat media uh, in particular. But they're pushing DeSantis to have the Republicans have this fight because they would love Republicans to cross the Rubicon with each other. So I know what I know what the Democrat media is doing. But were you're very objective. Were you and I'm, I'm not patronizing you. Were you surprised at that margin of difference? Um, a little. But, you know, most of the polls have been in that neighborhood, don't you think? Uh, so it's not too shocking. And I think Turning Point is one of those groups where Trump's had a huge influence. They've been uh, involved, he's been involved with them, and vice versa. So I'm not totally shocked by that. Um, I, I actually, there was a CPAC poll 
and I'm trying to remember what the numbers were exactly, that did not show Trump as dominant That's as correct. this recent one. Yeah. And I was more shocked by that, frankly, Me too. because Me too. CPAC is like home turf for Donald Trump. I actually was at CPAC when he spoke once, and he was fabulous. I mean, this is back... I'm trying to remember what year it was, um, I think when he was president. And, you know, what, what the media never reported on because they hate him so much is he was funny and self-deprecating. And, you know, I mean, he made fun of his own hair and so yeah. forth. You never see that side of Trump from the media. True. Um, he can be extremely likable. And I'll just say one more thing. Yeah. DeSantis does not have, I think, that kind of charm. No. And I think Democrats would be falling on the floor laughing now to think that Trump has charm, but he actually does. And and uh, he is, he's a powerful speaker, but he doesn't have that kind of uh, charisma, excuse the expression. It's true. Um, but, and that's something that Trump really can haul out. And my view is, and I'd be interested in yours, Trump lost the 2020 election. My husband and I were watching that first debate when he came out and he was angry and he was, you know, pushed, I think, Christie, Chris Christie and Rudy Giuliani had been his coaches for that debate. I think they wanted to provoke an anger, a hissy fit in Joe Biden by coming on really strong and being sort of mean to Joe Biden. Because Biden does have a history of rising to the bait and sort of lashing out. It failed miserably. And, in, and instead of seeing what we saw at CPAC and what you've seen all your life, uh, a charming sort of fun president, we saw an angry man. And I think that really hurt him badly. I think his polls never recovered from that. I, I agree with you, and I, I'm on the record as saying I hated that first debate. He was much oh, better, in the, he was much better yeah. in the second one. The yeah. key was the interruption, because Biden was not going to perform great that night. But by interrupting him yep. all the time, Biden got the nod. They raise his hand like he wins because he never had a chance to do the things he would have done. That's right. Trump needed to let Biden speak as much as humanly possible, and it just didn't go his way. Let, yeah. We only we have less than a minute. I wish we had more, Liz. This column on liberal voters want to blame Biden's age, but his progressive playbook is just as much of a problem. I would submit it's the only problem. It's not yeah, his age. It's the go ahead. Comment. 30 no, seconds. I totally agree with you. It, it, look, they're they're Everyone's throwing Biden under the bus right now because they don't want his policies to be blamed. So they're saying, oh, look how old he is. This is The New York Times, The Washington Post, CNN, et cetera. It isn't his age. There are a lot of people. Bernie Sanders, for Pete's sake, is about the same age. And sharp as heck. As sharp as can be. Yeah. It is because he has a terrible, progressive, anti-working class, anti-American agenda. That's why he's in trouble. Liz Peek, I love talking to you. Have a great day. Thanks so much. You're welcome. We'll be back. Oh, this is a lot of fun, but much more important content straight ahead because this is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. My name is Harry Hurley, filling in just for today. Brian will be back tomorrow. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, who Brian holds a place on the Mount Rushmore of talk radio programs in America. I do believe I coined that. Talkers Magazine rates Brian as the fourth most important radio talk show host in America. He has earned it. You can follow Brian and his brand 
at BrianKilmead.com and at BrianKilmeadShow.com. Brian is also a New York Times bestselling author. His latest book, The President and the Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. Now, if you go to BrianKilmead.com, Brian will personalize these books for you and yours, and they make great gifts, and Brian does a great job. Because remember, if we don't record history correctly, radicals will get away with rewriting it. I mean, look what's happening now. You see the textbooks being rewritten and all kinds of things. Of course, catch Brian daily on Fox and Friends in the morning and Saturday nights because my father told me when I was a little boy long ago, if you want something done right, you give it to a busy person. The other people have no time. Saturday nights, 8 o'clock, Brian Kilmeade, One Nation with Brian Kilmeade, instant replay classic at 11 p.m. Joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is F.H. Buckley, who is a foundation professor at George Mason University's Scalia School of Law. Awesome. A former Trump speechwriter. And uh, Mr. Buckley, you're talking to a former Trump executive, a former Trump speechwriter and author of the new book, Progressive Conservatism. I cannot wait because words mean things when you throw progressive. And I know he's so smart and a great writer. And this isn't an accident. When you throw progressive at conservatism, it almost to the wandering eye or ear sounds oxymoronic. Progressive conservatism, how Republicans will become America's natural governing party. F.H., how are you? I'm well, thank you. Please call me Frank. I will, Frank. Thank you. Good to be with you. Uh, Let's start with this. And I I mean, I'm not going to bury the lead. Months ago, you came out and are against President Trump running again. Uh, You've stated in very certain terms uh, your argument for it. And I did mention in in just describing part of your uh, pedigree that you were a President Trump speechwriter in 2016. But now you advise that he shouldn't run or that he shouldn't win. However, you speak about it and write about it wherever you speak about it and write about it. Uh, What happened that you were with him before you were against him? Well, there was this little thing called the 2020 election, which he lost big time. And, you know, look, there, there are a lot of great people who like Trump to still and want him to run. And I guess, my, you know, what I hear them saying objectively is I'd like Joe Biden to win again. Right. So, you know, uh, I like the idea of the Trump agenda, but the Trump agenda can't be carried forward by Trump. In my view, it's just it's not going to happen. But, you know, he brought all those new voters to the party. You know, that wasn't enough in 2020, but the party's not going to get anywhere without them. And so how do you do it? And my answer is, well, it's it's there are a couple of things. Number one is I, I think it would be helpful if he were persuaded that he can't win again. It's fine. He wants to make a lot of noise. Great. Um, you know, give him that. But I'd like him to feel that his message will be carried on by other people in 2024. And he can sit back and say, well, I don't have to do it. Other people will carry the ball. So, look, you know, as you say, I helped write speeches. I also helped craft what the message was in 2016. And I call it in my book, Progressive Conservatism. And what I say is it harkens back to an older party of Lincoln of Teddy Roosevelt and Dwight Eisenhower, right? So, you know, 
those people thought there was nothing wrong with the idea of progressive conservative. Uh, Eisenhower said the party will be sunk if it's not progressive. And Trump brought a lot of new par- policies to the party, yeah. you know, which were progressive. They weren't kind of your standard right-wing ideologue. That's what we need to do in, in 2024. And, Frank, you just you just answered what was going to be my follow-up. I, I'm in agreement with you. President Trump, even though some listening might disagree, I, I know you're correct. You know him and you know what you speak. Trump was a progressive conservative. He was. He yeah. was not afraid sure. to spend where you need to spend. He also was not afraid to tighten the spigot where he thought there was tremendous government waste, sort of Reagan-esque in one sense. Uh, and and I, I don't think it's a filthy word when you speak it with context. Uh, obviously, President Reagan, as you know, made a dirty word out of liberal. Now a dirty word's been made out of progressive. Let me ask you a, a, just a flat-out upfront question right at you. And I've, I've known it from the beginning because I've known him for 40 years. President Trump was always going to run in this election. There were all these people saying, oh, I don't even know if he'll run. He hates to lose. You know that. And I know that. He was always running. He is running. And at every one of these speeches, when he says, I might have to do it again, or, you know, hints all these things, it's just a matter of, is he going to declare before November 8th, which I would strongly uh, recommend, I hope the president's listening, strongly recommend not declaring before November 8th because I think this election is teed up. And if he declares before November 8th, it gives the Democrat media the boogeyman again, orange man is bad, and they can just run uh, a, a negative Trump election and, and drown out you know everybody else. So I believe he will announce after the November 8th election, tease it like heck, prior to November 8th, almost saying it, which he's done already, Frank, prior to November 8th, but that he will announce after November 8th. And in your humble estimation, because I know you're an honest broker, you tell it like it is and you write it like it is. Is there any Republican? I mean, he just got 78.7 percent of the Turning Point USA vote uh, over the sitting governor of the state where the vote took place, who got 19 percent. Is there any and he's the he is the darling and the the sort of the next if you will, in waiting, is there anyone in the Republican Party that you know that could defeat President Trump? Even if it's a clown car and 20 people get out and there's 20 podiums on the stage like there was in 2016 and you four eat at the little table and then you can graduate to the big table if you get this much percent of the vote. Is there anyone on the Republican side that could deny Trump the nomination? Well, I'll tell you what we're missing. What we're missing, and here I speak as a boomer, is uh, a lady called Joni Summers who had a song called Johnny Get Angry, Johnny Get Mad. I don't know if that rings a bell. Well, you know, our guys, they're wonderful people. They're people like Mike Pence, a perfect gentleman, the nicest guy in the world. Yep. You know, we'd like to have somebody with some fire in his belly, which is what Trump provided. So, you know, a a Trump-like candidate, I think, should be somebody who's able to convey that kind of passion without frightening people away. So, you know, we, we have some good governors. Uh, I kind of like the guy in my state, you know, uh, you know, Governor Youngkin. And the other thing I'll say is, look, 2024 is a long time away. So we don't know what's going to happen. I, I hope that Trump delays his announcement and keeps delaying it. And if he's doing all this uh, kind of flirting with the nomination to make sure we don't forget him about him, that's fine. 
you know, but he doesn't have to run to make sure we don't forget about him. It's, it's, it's enough if, if there is a Trump agenda that people are pushing. You know, and, and frankly, I, you know, there, there's, there are pro-Trump crowds out there right now. I don't think they understand the message either, if you want to know the truth. You know, I think these are, you know, these are mostly retreads from the 2012 uh, right-wing party, right? The, the Mitt Romney party, mm-hmm. right? Which, which is, you know, your uncle's Oldsmobile. So we want, some, we, we want a guy with passion and with the Trump message who can carry the message forward. And, and I'm, you know, who is that person now? I don't know, but I'm hoping he'll emerge. So you do you do see a scenario where someone if Trump runs, I'm just going to say it right up front. If Trump runs, in my estimation, with what I know and who I think will be willing to run if Trump declares, I don't think it's going to be as many people as some people think. It it won't be zero, but I don't think it's going to be like it was in 2016. And he dispatched each one of them as he just focused on low energy Jeb and Jeb is gone. Jeb went from one of the most respected governors in America to a joke. You were there, uh, you know, it. and he just dispatched one after the other after the other. I have said from the beginning, if he runs, there is no Republican that's going to deny him the nomination. I just don't see it. Do you, so you do see a scenario because there is still time and all these things that we don't know that may unfold. We'll see what happens in terms of the midterm election. I mean, you could look at it this way, too. Trump might wind up being very helpful in the midterm election with all the candidates that, that he goes out and stumps for. And when Republicans have a great victory, and I think they will, I think they're going to have a wave election. And you say it's a long way away. But if you're running for president, you have to know the morning after November 8th, if you're running or you're out, you'll be left behind. You know how this works now. You can't come in the last year uh, and come in late and wrong. So we're going to know, I think, pretty early on. Once Trump declares, and I believe he is going to declare right after the November 8th election or shortly thereafter, maybe he finesses it because of financing and things that you know about that when you declare, you know, things change. So he might hold it out for that reason only. But I think this is a two-year campaign nonstop for the nomination and then for the presidency. Your thoughts, Frank? Trump came out not two years before in 2016 uh, and 2014. He came out in 2015. He came out uh, like you know, 16 months off. Yeah, June. And uh, so, you know, so it may happen. But you know what? So here's what you need. You need a guy who will run against him, and there will be people, and who is able to, in a Trump-like manner, take him on and say, you know, look, much as I respect you, sir, you lost, and we know you lost, and we know you'll lose again. We need somebody who can out-Trump Trump in a debate, okay? And... And we're waiting for somebody with that kind of moxie, okay? Uh, and I, is there such a person? But, you know, I, you know, I have great faith in Americans to come out and do the right thing, you know, after they've tried everything else, of course. But, you know, but um, I don't get, uh, you know, I'm never pessimistic about the country. And being optimistic means somebody other than Trump winning in 2024. Is there any chance that you see, because there's always a chance, and he keeps saying that he is, but in fairness to him, he can't say he's not because he you know, destroys his one term presidency. I really don't see an opening. The Democrats don't want him. The numbers are absolutely terrible. As you know, yesterday's polling, 25 percent of Democrats want him to run for a second term. President Biden 
Uh, I think he's an accidental president. I think it was anybody but Trump. I think it was the pandemic. I think it was the um, the changes, not the machines. I never got into that voodoo uh, kabuki theater uh, Kraken, release the Kraken nonsense. But I do think that Democrats change rules in Democrat states, Pennsylvania, Georgia, where very little declination of ballots took place. So there were ways I think they could have been very articulate in saying what happened. And as you know, he did lose. But if you took 40,000 votes in three states combined, he is in his second term. And we're talking about something else right now. Uh, So he did lose, but he did get many millions more votes than any Republican in history. So I think he can make the case. I did win. I was very close the second time. I think he's got to get out of the business of relitigating 2020. If he's the nominee, do you think he is just absolutely DOA? He cannot win? Well, you know, now you're asking about the Dems. Yeah. The great thing is, you know. Have you ever seen a more pathetic party? It's okay. terrible. I mean, terrible. You, 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 you know, Biden is a total embarrassment, which everybody recognizes. In fact, you know, the buyer's remorse goes back to saying, what the heck were we thinking? You know, what, what about the cover up in the election? Right. I mean, the, the press, which lied for two years about the Russian collusion, then proceeded to lie about how incompetent and, and out of it Biden was. It's true. And then you've got the vice president. Right. Um, mm. uh, and the thing about those guys is that, you know, Biden at least was able to pass himself off as something other than a crazy in terms of policies. Yeah. Right. He was, you know, perceived to be middle of the road. It turned out he wasn't. He didn't govern that way. He was perceived. Right? Fra- Frank, but he was perceived everybody as else steady. in the party is nuts. Yeah. He was perceived as steady. Remember, he said, I'm not one of those crazies. I'm a moderate. We, but yeah. we, got, we got the completely hard left new version of Joe. We have to go in about 30 seconds to a hard break. What is your um, feeling on would, can Joe Biden run again with everything we know right now? Quick answer. Yes, he can, because there is little by way of alternative from an ultra left wing Democratic Party. Yeah, I think you're right. Bernie Sanders is trying to be that. Maybe Pete Buttigieg would do something very aggressive. I don't know. He just outpolled him 17 to 16 percent, as you know, in New Hampshire. Uh, Frank, this is great. Honored to present you on Brian's show. Uh, Keep up your good work and have a good day. Thank you, sir. You're welcome, sir. Good to talk to you. We'll be back. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We pursue justice without fear or favor. We intend to hold everyone, anyone who was criminally responsible for events surrounding January 6th or any attempt to interfere with the lawful transfer of power from one administration to another accountable. That's what we do. So if Donald Trump were to become a candidate for president again, that would not change your schedule or or how you move forward or don't move forward? Uh, Say again that uh, we will hold accountable anyone who is criminally responsible for attempting to interfere with the transfer, legitimate lawful transfer of power from one administration to the next. That's NBC News nightly uh, news anchor Lester Holt with United States Attorney General Merrick Garland. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
and I'm, of course, with this wonderful team of Allison, Pete, and Eric, who take such good care of you that it's just a privilege to work with this incredible team on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, I'm not buying it because I'm reminded by the four-page letter that Senator Grassley sent to Merrick Garland and to the FBI director. Uh, I'm reminded by Senator Ron Johnson of the great state of Wisconsin and what he is saying. They have DOJ whistleblowers who are coming to them and saying that the Department of Justice is corrupt, that the Department of Justice is partisan and actually engages in partisan politics. And all you have to do is look at the way with such vim, almost hatred, they come at Trump and nothing, crickets uh, for Hunter Biden. I mean, come on, you, you just can't kid people like this. And with respect to the January 6th committee, it's a joke. It's a show. They had a guy from a network Put a theater show together. No cross-examination of witnesses. It's a star chamber process, which that's not how we do things in America. It's all wrong. I'll quote the great Alan Dershowitz who said, quote, never believe a witness who has not been cross-examined. For example, Cassidy Hutchinson would have been refuted. The January 6th committee has intentionally not called Secret Service agents who came out publicly and said it never happened. First of all, if you look at the vehicle that President Trump would be in, what's the guy, the incredible stretching man? I forget what the Marvel character is. I can see him. I can't remember his name. Maybe that is his name. There's just no way these things that um, that were said happened, and Secret Service agents were prepared to say that it didn't happen, but they don't call them because this is one-sided all the way. When we come back, Bobby Barak on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. My name is Harry Hurley, filling in today for Brian, who will be back tomorrow on the Brian Kilmeade Show. On the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is Bobby Barak, who writes for Outkick.com. And we have until the end of the program to visit with Bobby. So we're really going to bring it. We're going to bring a lot of content. And of course, after welcoming Bobby. Bobby, welcome to Brian's show. How are you? Harry, nice to talk to you, man. Good job great, today. Great to be with you. And I'm telling you, I read your piece on Chris Cuomo, and it's not lost on me that he, this poor news nation that wanted to tell the American people, hey, we're news nation, and we're just the news. We don't take any sides. We're just the news. And so they hire Chris Cuomo who I have to say, I'm not trying to be unkind, and I believe in redemption and second chances and everything, but this guy's the furthest furthest thing away from that statement that you could find anywhere. He was completely ridiculous in, in what he was doing, whether it was stumping for his brother or the, the typical liberal tripe that would come out of his mouth with no objectivity whatsoever. So you wrote about it. For those that haven't yet read your article, Bobby, Chris Cuomo Joining News Nation, let's let's set the stage. Eric, cut 17. I have been obsessed with what happened, when, what was known, and there are a lot of facts that I believe are going to come out. So, yes, there's litigation going on, but I'm telling you, I never lied, and there were no secrets. I, I know, I know. I want to I, I want to believe that, but for some reason, I, I don't think Fredo uh, is is speaking what I would, in my opinion, consider 
to be the truth there. What is your take, Bobby, on Chris Cuomo at News Nation? Yeah, so take the listeners back a little bit. I, I was told by a pretty connected source that I've trusted for a while in late June. They came to me and said, hey, this thing has a lot of juice that Chris Cuomo's in serious talks with News Nation. They're like, you know, you might know what that is. You might not. And my first reaction was, well, I know what it is, but that doesn't make any sense because, like you said, News Nation brands itself as this alternative option to all the other news coverage. They say that they're right down the middle, that they don't do opinion, that they just report the facts and let the viewers decide what the thing and which way to lean. So the initial thought was Chris Cuomo, the same guy that hosted primetime on CNN, is going to go to a branded straight news network. But the more I dug into it, the more it started to make sense. So when we initially reported that these talks had progressed at OutKick, the, the reaction that I got from a lot of people around the industry is like, well, here's what's going on. The president of News Nation, Michael Korn, is Cuomo's former producer at ABC, and I guess they've maintained their friendship ever since then. So he's the guy that led this charge, and a lot of it comes down to Korn even though he initially brought in the strategy, looks at the numbers, Harry, and says, wait a minute, we're only drawing 50,000 viewers, 40,000 right. viewers. We need to spice this up. So that, what this really says is this is a pivot away from their initial strategy out of desperation. So Corn brings in his former buddy from ABC who happened to ultimately be a primetime host at CNN and got fired. So this is a complete 180 from the strategy News Nation has sold not only their fans and viewers, but people inside that building from staff, producers, and hosts. Bobby, I'm buying what you're selling. You're listening to Bobby Barak on the Brian Kilmeade Show, on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline. I have to give Dan Abrams credit because this was a credible, at least this piece that we're going to hear, this clip of the interview that Dan Abrams did with, with um, I was going to call him Andrew, with uh, Chris Cuomo, his brother, the governor's brother. This was journalism. And I know that Dan Abrams is capable of that. I've, I've seen his work over the years. I'm not a huge fan, but I'm absolutely not a hater. And I think he has the ability to do the right thing. And I think pressing Cuomo on whether whether he ever contacted the media about his brother is really fair because we know there's these emails. We, I mean, we, our, our lion eyes, we saw what they saw. We read what we read. So, Eric, Eric if you would, this will give um, us context to my little preamble there, and then we'll get Bobby to comment about it on the other side of the clip. Eric, cut 18. Let's start with the issue of I never made calls to the press about my brother's situation. You did. Right. No, I never contacted any media who were covering my brother to try to affect their coverage. Well, I talk to people a, in the media right. all the time. But, but the, you know, they're but most you, but, of the people in my life. But you said I never made calls to the press about my brother's situation. You did make calls to the press about your brother's situation. But I think the distinction, the distinction has a meaningful difference. The concern would be not that I called you and said, uh, you know, what do you think's going on here? It's me calling you and saying, hey, tonight in right. your segment, I hope you remember that's that. Different. Well, I, I, Dan should have stayed his ground. Oh, that's different. Like, like it's OK now. I, 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 I lose a little respect. He, he started strong and he ended with a whimper. But at least he did put Cuomo. I, I, I didn't see the um, the uh, 
the interview uh, on TV. I did read the transcript, and now I've heard the audio a couple of times today preparing for the show and, and now live with you, Bobby. So he, he asked – he did put out the right stuff. Then it's like he kind of took his side like a brother at the end. Oh, oh, this is a distinction with a difference. You know this very, very well. You don't have to call someone directly and ask them to do something. You making the call on behalf of your brother – says all that you need to say. You've made the call to members of the media. You did it for a reason. You're looking to, you know, to, to tip the scale and your brother's in trouble and you're trying to help. And I don't I, I said all the time during this whole double Cuomo dust up that every, anybody that loved their brother would do anything they could for their brother. It gets very, very tough when you're in a situation where he's the governor and you're a media person. You remember those um, toilet bowl things that he used like they were swabs, like um, uh, COVID-19 <laughs> yeah. swabs. He's teasing his brother about his nose. Here's your size. You know, and that was funny. It was shtick. Uh, but I'm not buying what Chris Cuomo is selling. Are you? No, and I watched this whole interview. There were several answers that just didn't add up. Like this entire conversation about contacting a reporter, um, Cuomo really danced around his answer and pretty much said, you know, I don't have any evidence to prove I didn't do this. Or Bob, Bobby, let me just wrong. interject. Bobby, this yeah. is just because I want the listeners to uh, – I want to underscore this. This was very Clinton-esque when he said, uh, you know – I didn't like it. I, I, I never inha- I smoked marijuana, but I never inhaled it. I mean, where they try to torture the English language. Note Cuomo said, no, I never contacted any media who were covering my brother. That, that, like, like that is your get out of jail free. That's your that's your qualifier. That's your that's your, Well, oh, why didn't you say so? That changes. It's like the Wizard of Oz. You know, they come right. to the Emerald City. Well, why didn't you say so? That's a horse of a different color. Oh, you didn't call anyone who was covering your brother. Well, who were you calling? Right. And, yeah, and there's, a, and there's a segment later in that conversation. Abrams asked him, well, you said in these leaked text messages that you had a lead on this female reporter. What does that mean? And Cuomo says, well, it could mean anything. Well, what exactly is he talking about? Um, so, yeah, he completely dances around this answer. Uh, you brought up Abrams' interview style. I agree. I thought Abrams did a good job asking the right questions. Um, some of his reactions, I thought he let Cuomo off. But some background on this, just to give context to this interview, it was really strange for two reasons. One is he, he's now Cuomo's uh, colleague at News Nation. I believe yes. they're going to lead into each other in prime time. And two, they touched on this a little bit. Abrams and Cuomo are actually personal friends and relatively close. Um, when I report on the story, Abrams is actually a driving force also to get Cuomo on News Nation. So it's a really awkward interview because he's sitting down with his now colleague, longtime friend to talk about you know the lowest point of his career. So a really strange atmosphere overall. But I came away um, thinking really Cuomo has no remorse for what he did. Maybe that's fine. I defended him early on and said, hey, I might have done the same thing because family often does come before work. So I don't begrudge Cuomo for that. But the way he handled it as far as even now trying to cover for it, act like, well, it wasn't that big of a deal or, oh, I didn't go that far, he comes across very dishonest 
and privilege and from a standpoint of, well, I can do whatever I want. I shouldn't have to answer for this. So I think Cuomo actually looks worse doing that interview than he did a week ago when a lot of us started to say, okay, well, that was six months ago. We can move on. I don't think he did himself any favors last night. I agree. I think he thinks he's so smart that he can talk his way out of anything. Again, yeah. sort of a Bill Clinton when Bill Clinton had his mojo and was you know, in, in that zone where he could just do anything, say anything, and blame anybody, do anything and get away with it. Let's take a brief time out. We're going to come back uh, with this um, wonderful guest, Bobby Barak. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. This creature, Trump, denied science, denied logic, intelligence, advice, experience, information, statistics, mathematics for himself as he denied them for our country. He is the root cause of all the avoidable infections, of all the avoidable deaths. And I do not want to hear platitudes about how, of course, we wish him a speedy return and recovery so he can get back to the office and set in place and reinforce policies that will kill 86,000 more of us before New Year's Eve. Viral transmission accomplished. Wow, I have to say, and I don't usually say things like this, but it sounded like Keith was like rabid and frothing at the mouth. It's like he was foaming. I don't say that. uh, I say that literally. It sounded like he had like a bucket of spit in his mouth. Uh, Keith Oberman trashing Trump. I'd love to see the the follow up to this, though, because many more people have died over the past 18 months under Biden's watch than did under Trump's. And this is with all the therapeutics and the vaccines and everything. So I don't even know what to say. If he had all that to say, Trump is the root cause of all COVID deaths. Wow. That's um, Bobby. That is extra special. Joining us on the Brian Kilmeade show on the Brian Kilmeade show newsmaker hotline is Bobby Barack. And to reach Bobby, his Twitter handle is B-U-R-A-C-K, his last name, Barack, Bobby, simple enough, B-O-B-B-Y, and then the underscore dash, uh, right after the Y, at Barack Bobby underscore dash. I hate that you have that dash, Bobby, but um, I know you're popular and you can you can, you can can endure the underscore dash. What do you think about Chris, I'm sorry, about Keith Oberman just going berserk there? Yeah, so we can joke all we want about Chris Cuomo when we did last segment, but he has nothing on Keith Oberman. People are riding around their cars hearing that segment. They're thinking, wait, how did Kill Me Show book some deranged lunatic like that? They might not even know who that guy is. This guy is so off the rails. Not only did he blame Trump for every COVID death, he also said that Trump is officially a mass murderer. He said that Amy Coney Barrett is a mass murderer. I mean, this guy is completely lost. I mean, I watched some of his videos, and I can't tell if he's playing a character or if he's just nuts. We ran a poll of the wokest people in all of media, and get this. He received 85% of the vote. That's how dominant he is and how loathsome he has become. I haven't seen anything like this guy. I mean, he's just unbelievably strange, awkward, eccentric, and quite frankly, just hateful. Here's a guy I have always liked. I met him when he was a rookie on the Philadelphia 76ers. 
And the first thing I said to him was, it's the mound round of rebound. That was his nickname coming out of college onto the Sixers. Phenomenal NBA player for the Sixers and the Phoenix Suns. Sir Charles Barkley. And I've been a big fan of his, like I said, since he was probably 22 years old. Uh, And he's not afraid to speak his mind. It sometimes gets him in trouble. He compared civil rights concerns in the United States to Saudi Arabia. What is your take on that, Bobby? So I like Charles Barkley, too. And he was so close to making a great point because he initially said, why are people focusing so much on this issue when there's other issues? And I made the same point because the sports media crushes these players for participating in a Saudi back league, but they say nothing about the NBA players profiting from slave labor in China and kowtowing to the Chinese Communist Party, which is committing genocide on Muslim Uyghurs. So Barkley had a point, but then he goes, let's focus on U.S. civil rights concerns. So instead of focusing on China, he has to inject the U.S. And look, Comparing U.S. civil rights, whatever those are, he didn't say, to what's going on in Saudi Arabia where they murder journalists and and all that, it was just distasteful. And again, he was so close to actually making a powerful point. It's like, why won't you talk about China, but you'll talk about Saudi Arabia? But instead, he says, let's not talk about Saudi Arabia or China. Let's talk about the United States. And to me, this was about him trying to get that get out of jail free because, oh, well, he's talking about supposed racism in America, so we'll leave him alone. I thought this was incredibly weak by Barkley. You're listening to Bobby Barak on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I definitely want to get this one in. I think it's really important, and it shows the duplicitous nature of these partisan Democrats. Because I always say there's good Democrats, but they're they're certainly quiet. I mean, it's the loud ones, Ocasio-Cortez faking like she's handcuffed, then saying, oh, no, I wasn't faking like I'm handcuffed. Go look at the video. I mean, come on. Liars who lie about lying. So you have the Democrats absolutely ballistic that the television platform Hulu won't air ads attacking the Republican Party's record on abortion and gun control. But, of course, they love that Republicans, basically conservatives, get censored on social media and deplatformed and penalized and suspended. So they love censoring. They just don't they don't like it on this occasion. Right. Yes. The backstory here is the Democrat, three Democratic organizations contacted Hulu to run these ads smearing the GOP gun control, climate change and guns or gun control, climate change and abortion. And Hulu said, "Now we're not going to run this stuff. We're going to we don't want to run toxic political ads that might or might not be true. And Democrats went to The Washington Post and Twitter and said, hey, Let's boycott Hulu and get that trending, and it trended all day Tuesday. And unfortunately, Disney, which owns Hulu, caved this morning and said now they're going to run those ads. So very disappointing to see Disney show a little bit of backbone, then crumble like cowards one day later. Bobby, 30 seconds left in our program today. I agree with you that history will not be kind. I also, like you, call it bizarro world. Uh, History will catch up. It will be recorded correctly, and they will not like what we have seen. 30 seconds. Yeah, real quick, I have a column up uh, it's on my Twitter page, and Outkick. Um, it talks about how we're going to look back at this time in history, and I'll leave you with this. One day, hopefully when we're still alive, we can look back and say, 
we were alive at the time when we had a president who couldn't speak. We couldn't define what a woman is, and our media completely lost interest in the truth. That is an absurd indictment on the state of the country. Bobby, nice to visit with you. Continued good, hey, good wishes. Man. Yeah, good to talk to you. That's Bobby Barak. I am Harry Hurley, filling in today for Brian, who will be back tomorrow. Uh, I want to thank Allison, Pete, and Eric, and, of course, Brian, for the opportunity to pinch hit today. Keep close to Brian, uh, one of the most important voices in America, BrianKillmead.com, BrianKillmeadShow.com. Brian will be back tomorrow. This is The Brian Kilmead Show. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.